Estás escuchando Behind the Entertainment. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Entertainment. I am Nano. With me always, DJ LM, Leo Morales, DJ Gandhi, Alberto Guerrero, and DJ King Arthur. With us today, we have two uh, intellectual properties professors and instructors, lawyers, Victoria Hernandez and Christopher Nichols. How are you guys doing today? Hey. Doing great. great. Thank you for having us. No, thank, thank you, you for much. having the time with us. And again, Victoria, it's good to see you again. Uh, I know. Great to see you kind of barely remember me, but... Uh, no, I remember you very well. Okay. I remember you. Yes, <laughs> uh, Victoria was my uh, copyrights professor back in 2013, 2014 in Full Sail, so... Right before Chris took that class over, so he cool. now teaches that class. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, awesome that you were the copyright teacher. That is awesome. <laughs> so uh, the reason I bring you guys over is that all of us here are DJs, and we've had our own uh, personal... Uh, situations when it comes to copyrights, uh, infringement, and doubts and stuff. And I think the closest one that hits to home, it's Facebook uh, coming down hard on the live streams that all DJs are doing now because of the pandemic, trying to you know at least do something out there and even charging with, for these uh, live streams and live parties. And I know there's a lot of doubts uh, behind it and a lot of people that, like me, do know what it what it entitles uh, the whole copyrights things, but I guess we want to start with what is copyright? What is protected under the copyright law? Um, copyright, if you if you break down the word, it is the right to who can copy artistic works. So if you have something that is original and it is artistic, you can. And, and you express it in a tangible medium of expression that can be perceived for more than a brief period of time, which I'll explain in one second, um, then you can get a copyright for that. And your copyright springs into existence the, when you express your art, okay? So you have an idea for a song, you can record it on your computer, you sing it to your phone, you maybe write it on a napkin. All of those things are when you are now expressing your idea and you're putting it in a tangible format. So the file on your computer, the recording on your phone, the, the napkin can be considered a tangible thing. So now your art has been set in stone, if you will, um, and you've expressed it. So that iteration of your art that you expressed receives a copyright. And the copyright is your right to decide who is allowed to reproduce, perform, display, distribute, or make derivatives of your work. So there's five exclusive rights that you receive when you create your original art. So it doesn't necessarily have to be registered then. It just has to be originally expressed by somebody. Yeah. Yes. Chris, you want to add to that? Sure, Victoria, that was amazing. Amazingly said. Um, right, so it does not need to be registered in order for the copyright to spring into existence, as Victoria said. So once it's tangible, it's federally protected work, right? You own it and you can exploit it for money and you can get royalties and all of that stuff. With that being said, if you want to enforce your copyright and you want to sue in federal court, you need to register with the copyright office. So registration is not required but really if you want your uh, ownership to have any teeth so to speak or to have any backing and and you know be able to do anything ab about especially um infringement 
you need the registration. But if you record something that is tangible, you can still collect royalties, like public performance royalties, or you know, you can do a lot of things without it, but you know, registration really comes into play when you want to file a lawsuit for infringement. So um, basically when, when, when disputes come into play, that's when the actual... Right, right, because um, copyright registration creates a presumption of ownership, which is something that you will, the very first thing you need to prove when you are um, pursuing a copyright claim is that you're the owner of the work. That's like number one, you know, and it, I guess it gives you legal standing, which, you know, we don't really get into, but it basically allows you to bring the lawsuit. So the number one thing is ownership. And the way you show ownership is through federal registration. So it's important, although they say it's not required, you know, but there's a lot of semantics going on there. Yeah. Uh, I said that before that you own it, but in order to enforce your rights, you need to be registered. And then I've had students be like, so then what do you mean you own it? You know, so, so, you know, it's like, you know, so anyway. Wouldn't, if you have one of these disputes where you released a song and then somebody copied part of it or completely, and then you don't have the song registered, but then you can prove that you made it way before that song came out. Is yes. that, is that a good enough uh, excuse to uh, sue the person who copied your work? Um, yeah, I mean, you can, I would say that you could always register. So if, if you put a work out, um, and then someone infringes it, you, the fact that you wrote it first, you own it. And the fact that you can prove it, which nowadays it's, I think, easier than ever to prove because you have timestamps on your digital creations on Pro Tools and probably Fruity Loops or, or any, any other thing, Logic, whatever you're using. Um, there's digital timestamps and things like that. So even if they put out the song, let's say they infringe your song and then put it out um, and, and then register it, you can still sue them and you would prove that their registration is invalid because they falsely, you know, um, they, they basically lied on their application and they were not the originators of that work. It's not original to them and you could, you could sue them and you would be in the right you know, I think the law is trying to be fair most of the time, and they want to reward the person that was first able to put it into a tangible form. So they're, they're trying to avoid any kind of sneaky shenanigans with registration, um, you know, so uh, yeah. But you know, there's some benefits to actually registering before something like this comes up. So say say you write a song you know and you record it now and you decide not to register and you put it out there and then somebody samples your song and they register what they created with your sample well the any money that they make from the sample that they used of yours you're you're not gonna be able to ask for as many damages and in the the term damages in the legal world just is like money. Think of it as you're asking for money. It's how were you monetarily damaged by someone else taking your work? So if you want to ask for statutory damages, which they allow you to ask for a specific amount of money for every single time somebody steals your work, you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't register yet. You you have to wait until the register, you know, the date of the registration, and then you can start asking for damages moving forward you may not be able to ask for as many attorney's fees or the costs of, of filing the lawsuit because, you know, had you 
registered, this person would have been on actual notice that that belonged to you. So it was a little bit, not that it's your fault, but it's a little bit your responsibility that they were not aware they were taking something that belonged to someone else. Uh, there's arguments against that, but that's kind of that's the idea. Uh, yeah, yeah I know that, I know that uh, Dan Nano is not recording this with video, but this, just for you guys, this is what a registration looked like. Oh, cool. um, this is nice. from the USTPO, the United States Patent Office. But that's, um, but that's a trademark, right? Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's my, the registration of my name. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay, and, cool. uh, yeah, also, I have my suit. Oh, the suit. <laughs> so, so we're gonna so we're yeah, gonna, we're gonna we're gonna get that in in in, in a minute because Arturo has a, a current situation that that yeah, he. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're gonna get there, Arturo. We're gonna get there. So well, no, I'm just you, I'm just showing how how the the, the registration looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys can see it's it. It's very official. <laughs> very, so, yeah, so very Leo, official. you wanna say something? Hold on, continuing the from the, what you guys were saying about uh, things. So you what you're saying is that you can't get those damages retroactively, right? So you can't, uh, you're not entitled to anything to happen before you actually registered it. So if it takes you five years and these girls making money off your thing for five years and then you register five years later, those five years of potential damages are, are, are gone. It only applies to what happens after. Well, so it depends on the types of damages you're asking for. There's a lot of different kinds. And so actual damages are the damages of the actual amount of money that you would have been paid for those tracks the way that the statute is written is you wouldn't be able to ask for actual damages retroactively, but you can going forward. Um, now there's punitive damages that you might be able to ask for if, if you think that the person knowingly took your work. I mean, there's, there's other types of damages that you might, I don't know, and Chris might know more on that front. Um, no, I think you're right. And that's a great point about going forward versus retroactively, but I would add that you're right. So registration is it, I always tell my students like better, it's better sooner rather than later. And the way the, the statute reads is you need to register it within three months after publishing your work in order to get uh, st statutory damages like Victoria mentioned. And statutory damages right now are uh, between $750 all the way up to 150,000 if you can pr prove that it was done willfully, which is on purpose which probably a lot of them are um, on purpose. So anyway, there's a big window there, 750 all the way up to 150,000. So you would get that. And I would say almost more importantly, or maybe on par with that, is being reimbursed attorney's fees. So if, again, if you file within three months of publication, you will be entitled to attorney's fees um, if you bring a lawsuit. And I've heard of lawyers turning down a copyright infringement lawsuit not because the statute of limits has run, which the statute of limitations is three years, which we can talk about that in a second. Um, but I, I think they turned it down because they, they knew they weren't entitled to attorney's fees and maybe they didn't think their client could afford the copyright litigation because you know intellectual property litigation notoriously is expensive. I suppose you could say litigation in general is expensive. Uh, but when you start talking about copyrights, trademarks, patents, and whatever else, it's like even more. Um, so I think, at least this is my hunch, that the attorney looked at it and said, well, you waited so long to register, I'm not guaranteed my attorney's fees. Because I looked at it, and at first I'm like, well, maybe the statute of limitations runs. So that means 
that um, it's been three years from when you, the creator, the, the artist or author, um, from when you knew or should have known about the infringement. So if you wait three years, in other words, you know, okay, this person infringed my stuff, but you wait over, you know, three years and, and one day, you wait over three years to bring the lawsuit, they can file you know, a motion to dismiss or they can use a defense to copyright infringement and say, you waited too long, you know, the statute of limitations ran, you cannot bring this lawsuit, your window of time has passed. So I, at first, when I first heard about this thing, I'm like, wait a minute, maybe the statute of limitations, because somebody told me this attorney turned down my, my claim or won't pursue it. And then I'm like, oh, I think it's this attorney's fees business. Um, because I, like I said, it could be very expensive. And if it's coming out of pocket, you know, maybe they didn't have the exorbitant amount of money that it would cost to pay for that. So anyway, those are some reasons to register sooner rather than later. And according to the statute, they want you to register. It's within three months of publication or within, I think, one month. If it's un unpublished, let's say it's an unpublished work, kind of like the scenario that you just gave. Let's say you're working on a track. You email it to a friend. You say, hey, check this out. I'm working on it. It's not out yet. And then somehow, you know, they email it, they email it wherever. Someone infringes it. So it's really an unpublished track. And then someone infringes it and publishes it. Once you find out about, about that infringement, you have a month to register. And then if you register within a month, then you'll get, uh, be entitled to attorney's fees and statutory damages, which, you know, is, is a good thing if you can do it. Yeah, oh, oh, that, that's kind of that's kinda a good point that you were telling about uh, having a time frame. I didn't knew that about that three years uh, time period. And, uh, and yeah, and just reinforcing what you told about if you wanna, you know, uh, enforce the fact that you have a registration, it will cost you a lot. I mean, so far I spent over 30K on, on my intellectual property with lawyers. So, uh, it's awesome. Uh, um, yeah. I think, uh, no, no, this is a good way because I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, well, I'm pretty sure, I, I'm, I'm certain actually, that Arturo's uh, cop, uh, infringement cases are not exactly about copyrights per se, right? They're about more about trademarks. And I think like, that's uh, both. Oh, both? Okay, well, I think it's a good time actually to be able to ask you guys what the differences are between a copyright and a trademark and a patent and that type of stuff. And get into a little bit of that because I know some of it overlaps a little bit here and there. Like there's a bunch of right. It's uh, mm -hmm. uh so I, if you could help us out with that, that'd be great. I like to think of it like an umbrella. I'm a very visual person, so if you think of an umbrella, this is my umbrella. Can you see it? Um, <laughs> uh, this whole umbrella is intellectual property. Okay, and then you know how an umbrella has spokes. Uh huh. So one spoke is copyright. Then there's another one that is trademark. Then you have uh, patents. Then you have trade secrets. Then you have the rights of publicity. So there's, there's all these different things that are considered intellectual property um, that kind of fall under this umbrella. And so it, property in this world that we're talking about is property of the mind, intellectual property. You can't necessarily touch it and feel it, you know, like I, I can come up with this song and technically I did put it on my computer, but you know, when you, when you put it on a CD or on a thumb drive or whatever, that's not the song itself. I'm not touching the song. It's the, the it's this, 
and Chris explains this better. It's an ephemeral thing. Um, so you own this creation, um, but you've expressed it in something tangible. That tangible thing is not the thing you own. You own the concept that you've been able to express. Does that make sense? Did I just make everyone more confused than any, anything? Mm -hmm. I think so. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes well, sense. So, <laughs> thanks, Chris. <laughs> uh, so copyright is like the protection of creative works. Then with trademarks, you are protecting a mark that you would use in commerce, in trade. Okay, so a slogan, a name, uh, maybe a symbol like the picture that you, know, that you showed, a logo or, or something like that. And the idea there is that you're just protecting the use of that mark as it relates to the types of goods or services that you are providing in commerce. So for example, when you see the golden arch for McDonald's, you know that they sell a specific kind of product. What kind of product does McDonald's sell? Burgers and fries. Burgers and fries specifically. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna go to McDonald's if you want a steak dinner, most likely. Right? Like that's not, that's not where you go if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have steak or I'm going to have shrimp. I don't yeah. think they sell shrimp at McDonald's. <laughs> okay. So maybe Long John Silver, you'd go to oh, shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the mark, you know, their, their name and their logo to you visually should indicate, okay, if I go here, I can get a specific kind of food. It's going to be in a specific type of t uh, price range. It's going to have a specific level of quality to it. And it's going to taste, you know, consistently the same. And, you know, if I go there, I, I can get it in a certain amount of time because that's one of their differentiating factors is they get it to you fast. So the, the way they use their name and their trademark is so that people know this is the quality of product you're going to get. And that quality can be any level. You know, it doesn't have to be Ruth's Chris quality. It can be McDonald's quality. And people like that because it, it, it's a source identifier. That way, if, if I go to a McDonald's in France, unless you watch the movie Pulp Fiction, it's going to be the same. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, they're going to have the same stuff there. Maybe a couple of things are going to be named differently, but pretty much it's the same food and it tastes the same. So Victoria, on the McDonald's thing, like what makes me, let's say tomorrow, I want to do like a fast food brand of my own and I want to do like a burger place or whatever. What, uh, what stops me from saying, yeah. I have a burger, I have fries, I have sodas. What, uh, what limitations do I have that I don't get sued or I have infringements towards McDonald's per se? So if I'm doing I, the, the same business model in a way. Yeah, well, and if you think about it, there's a ton of burger places, right? You, there's a lots of fast food burger and fries places. The difference is they're not all using these golden arches. They don't use the same color schemes. They don't sound or look like McDonald's. I kind of jokingly said McDowell's. I don't know if you guys, you're definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. for that America. movie. Okay, it's, coming to America. Good. Thank you. That is the greatest example. I remember uh, the whole sequence. It's uh, they have the Big Mac, we have the Big Mick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in theory, the McDowell them. thing in real life yeah. would that, would would that have stuck? No, they would have gotten sued, and they joked around about it in the in the movie, like that they were, you know, he was like, "Is that is that a lawyer?" You know, the the owner of the store was always worried about getting sued because he totally ripped off McDonald's. Hundred percent, exactly. He actually, I think that the hamburger was actually it was exactly the same, except uh, theirs had a sesame seed bun, and his doesn't have sesame seed, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, hysterical. Yeah, um, yeah. Got to continue. Yeah. So it's, it's funny like that, but yeah. 
so with trademarks, that's, that's what people are looking for. Um, it's all about consumer confusion. You know, is this thing identifying a good or a service? Um, and if you have a similar name and you're also providing similar goods and services to a similar geographic, you know, group of people that could get confused, that's where you have problems. Um, so, you know, if I, if I open up a taco shop here in Orlando, I'm not going to compete with, you know, if I have a Victoria's taco shop and then somebody opens up Victoria's taco shop in Alaska, unless I start shipping my tacos to Alaska, I, we are not competitors. I, they can have the exact same shop with the same colors, the same menu. They're not competing with me. It's not going to cause confusion. My customers aren't going to accidentally drive to Alaska to go get a taco. So that wouldn't necessarily be trademark infringement there. But, you know, we live in a world of the internet where your, your customers can be now anywhere. So oh. with you guys providing music, it's a little different because you can have the same customer in Alaska. Mm -hmm. So going back to what you were saying about the music and the samples, what are the limitations when you're a producer? And I know a lot of artists from different genres, they sample from every type of genre. So what's the limitation of your sample size versus getting to pay out uh, royalties to other uh, people that have the right to the, to the material? Chris, do you want to take this one? Well, yeah, really, if you sample anything at all, you should have a license to do so. There is a famous case, at least it's famous to us, in 2005, um, it's Dimension Films versus, oh, what's the name of that place? Um, so with a B, oh gosh. I'll look Bridge for Music, it, thank you for the yeah. B. <laughs> You're awesome, I'm so happy that helped you because it didn't help me. <laughs> Dimension Films versus Bridgeport Music is a very interesting case if anyone ever wants to look it up. But basically, um, NWA sampled a Parliament Funk song and they sampled like three notes of the three intro notes. Our part they they slowed it down um they put it in the they buried it in the track right so it's like way in the bottom you know you can barely hear it you really have to strain to hear it and um anyway they lost so they were making arguments like well we manipulated the track it's only three notes they tried to use this defense called de minimis which means you took such a small amount of something that it's not worth uh, a federal lawsuit However, all of those arguments failed, and the court ruled, with, at least when dealing with sound recordings, which is what you're doing. So we didn't really get into this, but there are two types of copyrights. I'll just step aside for one second. So there's two kind of uh, copyrights. One is on the publishing side, and it involves the musical composition, the melody, and the lyrics. So I always think of that, that's sort of the publishing side, the writer and the publisher, they're over here. And then there's the sound recording, which you guys might think like the master recording, right? So the sound recording is a particular recording, uh, the way in which it's recorded and, and what have you. So it's a sound recording over here. And usually the record label owns that. Um, but of course, in this day and age, any one, one, of, any one of you guys could own all, all of that, the composition and the sound recording. So what the court ruled in this particular case was basically any, if you take any amount of a sound recording, one second, I mean, anything, that would be copyright infringement 
and there'd be no way uh, really to argue it. Maybe there, I mean, we could get an exception land with like, uh, it's a parody or fair use or something, but let's just stick to, you wanna sample something and put it in your song. Technically at that moment in time, you need a license to do so. Um, and I've had a lot of students say, well, what if I manipulate it? What if I reverse it? What if I pitch it down, pitch it up, pitch it inside out? You know, what if I do, and it's like, the, the reality is you can get in trouble for that. Whether or not you'll get caught, I mean, that is a separate question, but you know, the right thing to do, the legal thing to do would be to get a license. A permission. Um, yeah, permission. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's if you use the recording. What if they had, if, if NWA in that case, if they had just taken a similar, whatever made that sound originally and yeah. reproduced it somehow themselves and made it themselves and used those same three notes and it sounded basically the same, but it wasn't an actual recording, then, then how does that work? I think, honestly, I think they would have been fine because what they sampled was the easiest guitar. <laughs> um, you know, I'm tempted to play it for you with my guitar, but it's like, it's, it's literally like three, he's bending a note um, and it's like super easy. So, I mean, I tell my students too, so if you can make that sound without sampling it, totally do it. I'm not saying in every case you'll get away with it, but I believe, it's in my personal belief that in that case, with that little like bending, it's like he bent a note up and then like pulled it off. I don't know. It's the most common guitar lick like in the world. And they really got in trouble because they sampled it, but they could have hired any guitarist who's been playing for like, you know, a year or two could have played that, that guitar lick. So, and, and I don't think, I think that would have been de minimis. In fact, I don't even know that you would hear that and go, oh my gosh, Parliament Funk, you would just go guitar. Okay. You would just go, that sounds like a guitar solo. Uh, really I generic sounding. I guess I, I, another good example would be, or better known example would be the Vanilla Ice Case. Mm. where the change was so minimal, but he still lost oh, his entire well, bank account on that case. But then that was because, he, because the change was so minimal. Yeah, he, I, was he gonna used... you, I was actually going to mention the same exact thing, which is that, if I remember correctly, that case, uh, so this is where, I don't know what the, what the technical, uh, I guess, the legality where it comes in exactly, but I remember hearing something about a certain amount of notes in a row, had to be a certain way. I don't know if, how that works, but uh, that was, was something that I heard. I don't know if, how true that is, but, uh, and he always argued that it, it, like that one note went up instead of down or something like that. And so in, in the, that's why I was surprised by when, 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 when Chris started talking about how uh, it was just basically three notes, right? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, three notes is not enough, but he was talking about the recording aspect. When you're talking about the performing aspect, then is there a certain Even amount of- Even if it's a loop, What is the threshold there? Uh, is, there's one case, right, Chris? Isn't there a Snoop Dogg case where three notes was considered? Uh, you guys are gonna see I have no nail polish on that one. Three three notes is considered uh, de minimis, and so if it's the sheet music side, but if it's the actual recording, no no amount of a recording is small is considered small right. enough. I would say to answer your question, it's hard to answer, and, and um, with yeah, with the recording, no amount is small enough. With uh, if you're doing it yourself. That's really a question, and it's actually, I go over this in my class where it's like the myths of copyright law, where there's a myth where it's like, if I take four bars, or, you know, I'm allowed up to four bars free, right? Or I'm allowed, I'm allowed this, or I'm allowed that. 
And I always tell my students um, that there is no, at least in this case, there's no what they call a bright line rule, right? Victoria is our favorite word. So a bright line rule. (laughs) So the court will rarely go three notes is okay, but four is too much or five is okay, but six is too much. They'll look at it in the, the totality of the circumstances and, um, you know, I remember Davey, a friend of ours, used to always say, if you look at the Jaws song, it's really only two notes. It's like, da 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 one, two, one, two. And it's like, so if you take two notes from that song, you're like taking the whole song. Um, so it's always going to be in the, the they're going to look at it holistically. So there's a good chance that three notes would probably be fine if you perform them somewhere else. And it's part of a, lo- a larger composition. Like, yeah, the whole Jaws thing just remembered me uh, a track about Alexis and Phil, uh, some reggaeton artists that had the Tiburon song. And they used that sample in the middle. I don't know if oh. they have the rights or it's they just blew it by and nobody noticed. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, it's true. They did. They did. Let, right. let, let me see if I can uh, play you a know, little of that intro. Yeah. For a second. This actually, it reminds I think it's, it occurred to me when you guys are talking about that. Uh, I was thinking of this song, uh, I think it's Ladies Night, right? The disco song, where the beginning is like, don't, don't. It's like just, just two notes. It's like, a, it's like, but it's like a, like a bendy two note uh, bass line. And that's very iconic. You hear that and yeah. you know what Ladies Night is coming on. By so, the, by uh, the, no, 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 yeah. sorry. You know what I'm saying? That, uh-huh. that you, if you hear that, anybody who's a DJ or somebody who knows that song, you hear that, don't, don't. And you know that that's the song that's coming. So if I take that and I put it someplace else, I mean, me, who's not a lawyer and I don't have any, you know, dog in this fight, I'd be like, yeah, they ripped that off. You know what I mean? Even if... Yeah, it's real true. That's a great example. Like, anything yeah. that's really iconic and identifiable, you know, you've got to be careful, even if it's only two notes. It's more about how identifiable is it and, and what is the context and all that stuff. So so this is the uh, the one that uh, Gandhi was talking about. Wait. Yeah, go up, go jump to the to the part. The beginning, man, the beginning. Oh no, it's in the middle. It's in, it's in the break. I think it's in the break. It's in the break. It's the part of La Noche de la Fiesta, something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gandhi, sing the whole song. Go for it. <laughs> okay, I, I'll find it. Sorry, it's just like I, I couldn't. Right. I couldn't pull it out in time. Yeah. Anyway, so, before talking a little bit, I was gonna. Talking a little bit on what Leo was saying. Uh, another thing is that when you're making music, you either do the whole song, the whole uh, sound from scratch with synthesizers and stuff, or you either use a sample and the fact that where you find that sample, either if you bought it and you have the license for it, you're good and ready to go because you have a, a document that, you know, sets to you that, you know, you, are, you bought the use of that sample, right? Uh, or if you Presumably, use a if that person, if the person who sold you the sample made it from scratch and it was original, but sometimes you get people who sell, they, they make stuff because, and they, they sample other things and then they license it to people and they, you know, license And maybe there's a license before that. So, yeah, so but, in that and there case, can get. Okay. So in that case, uh, what, what, who will be the responsible for it? The store? Well, or everybody, this is America, you sue everybody. The thing is that if, if that point, abounding on that point that you just said, if the store sold that sample 
to, I don't know, 3,000 3, people, you know? Uh, so, you know, whose who's fault is it? It's from the store because all those 3,000 people have a document I received that says that you got the license to use that that song, it, right? It depends on what that document says. Cause so sometimes you're, and you guys should look for this. If your document says, and Chris help, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. If the document says that the person is, who is selling you this license is, is the rightful owner and warrants and represents that they have the right to transfer this license to you. And then there's also an indemnification clause, which says in the event that you would get sued, the person who sold it to you would hold you harmless because they would take, meaning they would take responsibility for you getting sued because it was actually their fault, then mm -hmm. you're good because your contract protected you. But there are a lot of contracts that actually say the opposite and people don't read them very closely. And it actually will say, you know, the person who is giving you this has, is giving you no warranties or representations and will not hold you harmless. And in fact, you will hold them harmless if you get sued and they didn't know that they were breaking the law. <laughs> and, and just in case you get sued and then somebody sues them via you, you yeah, promise to funny. absolve them. So you gotta be really careful when you're reading those licenses, you really need to read them clearly. And I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole separate issue, I think, but the whole thing about licensing in terms of, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, like reading documents and signing stuff when you're signing up for, for whatever, uh, that all the, the, the notices that come up that people just, scroll through and put, I read it and let's I accept. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other issue, but I'm sure it comes into play because I, I do have uh, sites that I use with that, that sell me royalty fee music, like for some of the short videos that I make and stuff like that for my job. And so, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I read maybe bits and pieces of those th agreements, but never the whole document. Yeah. I never thought to look for the hold harmless or anything. So uh, I think, and look for, you know, those, are they allowing you to use it commercially? Yes, you know, no, that, that part I, I did read, but I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saying that, but if there's a dispute, I don't know what happens. Now, it's, it's the ones I use are, are companies that are fairly well established and pretty big. So I feel fairly comfortable that I'll be okay because they're so popular and people use them all the time. But I never thought to even like look into that specific part of it, uh, how it'll go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, that far down to see what would happen if something came up? You know, you kind of just assume, oh, this company's pretty well established. I think we'll be fine. And I mean, hopefully I will be, but <laughs> I guess I, what you're saying is you should never be too careful, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I were, I guess, more paranoid lawyers. So we were like, read everything, trust nobody. But <laughs> um, we've seen it happen too, you know. There's a funny, a funny meme picture that says, if you ever feel useless, just think how the guy who reads the terms and agreements feels. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> nobody read. ever reads them. Nobody reads them. <laughs> accept, oh. accept, accept, I, whatever, submit, and that's it. <laughs> Real quick question, though, and I, for, for both of you, how often do you fully read all those terms and agreements on, on websites that you go to, if I may know? Uh, not as often as I should. <laughs> that was a pretty lawyerly answer, actually. Good job. Hey. <laughs> I played the fifth, Your Honor. <laughs> hey, I just, I just went in uh, to one of the places that I have bought uh, samples, and I was like, just like reading the frequently asked questions, 
So like, check this out. It says like, for example, now you put me in doubt. So, okay. It says here, can I use this sample? Okay. So the answer that the, the merger uh, guy, uh, the company says, you may release such compositions commercially without the payment for any further fees or royalties for such usage. For example, if you're the original purser and you use the sound to create your, your soundtrack, uh, television, commercial, by simply combining uh, uh, samples or guitars, uh, loops, and uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it says here, because you already purchased a private license uh, to use the sounds commercially, Ah, sorry, I jumped something. Okay, you will keep all royalties, advertisements uh, that you earn because you purchased the private use of the license. It doesn't says anything about the other part. Um, warranties says, and represent, there, it's probably in a different uh, paragraph. Yeah. And so I would It's kind of like a work I'll, for hire thing yeah. where you just, I mean, the, you're just, releasing the song and there you're paying you a flat fee and the song it's basically no longer yours well there, i think there's there's a couple things going on here we can break it down so it sounds like arturo what you're reading is maybe something where you have a bunch of samples like maybe a snare hit a kick drum a bass yeah. line a vocals is something like that is that what you're talking about yeah 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 for example right. if you're going out if you want to use you do a, if you would need a kick or your song, a kick drum, you right, either right, right. make it from scratch and spend about two hours making one, or you either bought, bought one, you know? Yeah, so in that case, usually, yeah, the terms of service will talk about it, and what you read, you know, sounds about right. Where as long as you're using it in a creative way and you're making a new song, you're fine. So what you wouldn't be allowed with that is to go to somebody and go, hey, do you wanna buy 50 kick drums? Here they are. Yeah, 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 of course. So, Right, but if you make it your own, that's fine. Where, where I would be even more you know, uh, skeptical is when you buy, and I don't know if you guys do this, but when you buy a beat from someone and it's got you know, keyboard, guitar, bass, drums, everything under the sun, it's a five minute, four minute song. That's where I would really, that's, that's when all those warranties and indemnification and all that stuff I mean, in both cases, you want it, but if it's a collection of sounds, like a knock on wood, uh, a strong guitar strum, a bass, a this, and you're combining them all to make an original sound, song, you can do that. In fact, there's a really funny video on YouTube where some kid discovers that love in this club, I don't know if I'm saying that right, that Usher song <laughs> that came out a little while ago, Love in the Club. Um, that, that song was made all on GarageBand using stock, sounds from GarageBand. And anyway, this kid on, on YouTube, is his mind is absolutely blown. He's like, you know, this was produced by Paul the Don, and he's got like all this equipment, and here he is using stock GarageBand sounds. And I show that to my class, and I sort of say, look, you can, you can do that. Um, you can do that, it's fine. But, you know, if, if somebody were to just take all those sounds like wholesale and be like, here's a bunch of snare drums you know that's where it's illegal but if you're doing it in some creative way even if you're usher even if you're high level you know you can make your own original creation on there and and really you don't you know 
uh, garage band isn't going to come after you. You know, you might be, it might be embarrassing that you made that on garage band. I don't know. Um, but it's not illegal. If anything, it speaks to how good of a producer you are, because if you can make a world sounding, you know, world, world uh, worldwide beat with just garage band, I mean, shit, Props right. to you. <laughs> I, mean, you. <laughs> I, I think that two biggest factors about uh, copyrights in music will be melodies and actual uh, sounds, you know, like actual samples of something. I think by my research, I think those are the biggest two areas that usually get into trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess when I when you guys talked about samples, I was thinking like actual chunks of a song not right. just the not snare like, not the sound yeah, one snare hit snap right um, you know, that would be you know even harder to track down but again i mean it's good that you read that part of the license anyway because now now we all know um and in better safe than sorry um but yeah when you're getting beat especially if you're like i hear students and other people um i, I got a beat off of youtube and i'm like no don't don't do that right it's like because you want to go somewhere that can give you that where there's a signed agreement um you know and, and all of these things are are in play um and you yeah i could give you a really good example about a reggaeton artist that i'm not gonna mention names because everyone knows him yeah, we're, 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 not, we're not a gossiping page but, so. yeah yeah but the thing is that he's one of my friends and he actually uh took a a, a beat from uh, from youtube to create like you know this uh this lyric on it and you know just just fun with some of his friends he just like did it then re released it via um not not actually distribution he released it at first you know um put it on youtube and stuff and the thing is that the song like kind of like took off and got like a lot of millions of views and stuff but then um he wanted to you know do the digital distribution to put it on spotify and, and itunes and, and everything else but the thing is that he <laughs> he could he could not do it and the thing is that uh he actually contacted the uh the guy that he took the beat from on youtube mm. and the guy he's like he was like Hey bro, uh, I did this uh, song with your, your with your beat, and it got a lot of millions of views. And I want to to buy you the, the beat so I can use it, so I can you know do the digital distribution with it. And the guy was, yeah, yeah, I know. Like the guy who made the beat was like checking in all the all the royalty money for all those uh. millions of views, right? And the guy, the beat maker didn't want to to sell him you know the rights so he wanted to you know you use it it's your bad so i'm checking in the money so he was like you know so he was collecting the money even though the other guy made it popular right so exactly yeah yeah i mean that's that's one way to do it for sure um so and that's yeah. how youtube gets you know they make money too they'll they provide the platform for people to do these types of things and then they don't get sued as a an, a third party infringer contributory infringer because what they do is when a song is identified as someone else's they just say okay well we'll, we'll are, do you allow it and if the person says yes then and can we give you this amount of of payment for it and so they'll that's why he was just sitting back collecting all the royalties and he's like sure let them make money off of it 
or let me make money off of their hard work, they're not going to make anything because it's my beat, but keep it up there. I'm not going to take it down. And, and that's, and that's yeah. what a lot of these artists who have made songs originally and then have had them copied by somebody else, I think they waste more time suing the infringer rather than just accepting the free promo that they're getting and just, you know, just work out a deal. Because all, all, all these cases are like for years. Tell me about years. it. <laughs> Anything you want it to add? <laughs> Since it 2015, I mean, I'm fighting, I'm fighting uh, a copyright oh, no. infringement. Yeah. But, uh, but the guy took intellectual property from me. And I'm kind of like just, you know, since I have the registrations for it, uh, I'm, you know, trying to enforce my rights. Yeah. And uh, that's been going on since 2015. Wow. Uh, yeah. And litigation can, can go on for a very long time. And so sometimes people will yeah. weigh that and decide, okay, yes, I could probably make more if I just cut a deal with the person. But, you know... I, there, sometimes there's like the principle of the matter that you just want to do it, or maybe they they won't actually make a deal with you. Sometimes the people are are just like, okay, you want your money, come after me, because they know it's so expensive and grueling to go through a full lawsuit. That's, that's kind of like what what happened with uh, with my case. Uh, the guy is so hard headed that he actually it's about the name. It's not about but that's trademark then it's not copyright. Yeah, yeah. So kinda like I've been using my name since two thousand and nine and this guy started using it back in two thousand fifteen. And I started noticing it because all the people who work with the guy, I mean the filmmaker for the music video or the record label, everyone just like started tagging me instead of tagging him, you know? Wow. So I started, you know, accumulating, um, storing evidence. So I have about like 500 pieces of evidence. Uh, but the thing is that I was like at the beginning, hey, bro, um, you're using my name. I got the registration. So please change it to something else. It's, it's easy. It's actually changing a, a name is really easy. And uh, the guy was like, you know, so hard headed. And he was like, no, no. I, I will continue and uh, it, you know, from one thing it jumped to another and then from cease to desist letters and then my lawyer talking to his lawyers and uh, you know, it's a snowfall. It's like, a, how do you say this? It's like a snowball effect. If a you snowball, put a snowball yeah, on, on the top of the mountain, it keeps growing and growing and growing. So right now I'm yeah. to the point that, you know, I spend about like, 30k on this guy uh you know and it's either i stop it and continue having this confusion with the guy because he's using my name and he actually plays uh electronic music also so it's like you know and uh you know or just like let it go and whatever you know but it's something it's really that I will not spot. let go. I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. And he sounds like he's just got money to spend and he's going to see yeah. if he can wait you out. Yeah, he just like, huh. he's just like, he doesn't quite understand what um, 
how do you say this? Um, intellectual property is. And the lawyer had, that he's using is not an intellect, uh, intellectual property lawyer. So that kind of like makes things a little bit harder because some lawyer don't kind of like understand, you know, yeah. the fact that everything is happening. And, uh, but you know, I'm not going have to you, back down. Have you guys <laughs> actually tried to like set up for trial and, and move it, you know, move it that's forward? What, that's why, that's what we're doing. Okay. Uh, we're doing the trial in Orlando. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's all going slowly but surely on that direction, you know. But we've tried like every other possible option, sure. you know, just to be sure and not to, to you know, do something rush, you know, and, and make it worse because I don't have bad intentions. I just want the guy to change his name, but, you know, he has made me waste a lot of time, effort, money, and stuff, you know? And, and, so. and that's just like a, a small case. And this always reminds me, whenever I hear any type of copyright and trademark dispute, uh, I think the, 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 for me, the, the most complicated case is the birthday song case. Uh. It's <laughs> such an old song, but yeah. just a, what two years ago, a judge declared it to be public property and because uh, Warner Chapel, it was determined that they had obtained the rights illegally. And, and it's crazy because me and Leo were talking about like, why, if, it, if it's a such long period of time and when the song becomes public, how can it be used? And we were talking about, uh, right, Leo, the, the uh, Steamboat Wheelie case as well. Because it's all, yeah. the the time period. It's sometimes it's crazy how long and and how do I obtain it if the person dies? Because I know it's the whole like seventy, ninety, and one twenty. I, I just wanted to. I think uh, that's we can get into exactly how long do these copyrights last and 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 what do they cover exactly? Because uh, again, using that uh, Disney example, which I know. Uh, so apparently, I remember if I remember correctly, you guys obviously are the experts, but. Uh, uh, was it late '80s or '90s or something that they they passed uh, an extension so that those uh, those that uh, Steamboat Willie, for example, wouldn't come into the public domain? The Sonny Bono yeah. law, or something copyright like that. 1998, uh, I think, right? right. Yeah. right. And uh, and they extended it for a certain period of time because I guess Disney backed it and they they didn't want to have it in the public domain. But now it's going to be up, I think, now or next year or something. I I, I I that's a great. I was thinking about that. I think it's like maybe 2020. Three, 23 is what I remember. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, uh, but usually copyright, how long does it last? How long does it extend? And then if you can get into like how you can extend it or, or if that's possible anymore. Uh, Steamboat Willie. Oh, can I, can I, can I go first? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, Steamboat really, Willie is like a really interesting one. So first of all, just quick short answers. Um, right now, copyright term, it lasts for the life of the author plus 70 years. Um, if there's joint authors, it's going to last the life of the last surviving author um, and then 70 years after they pass away. And then for a business, it's going to be 95 years after publication. And if it's not published, if it's unpublished, um, it would be 120 years. So those are sort of the parameters. Uh, but going back to our discussion about how these things overlap, 
um, the thing that's interesting about trademark is that trademark can last forever, potentially, as long as you're using the mark in commerce. So if you guys have watched any Disney animated, Disney animated studios or animation studios, whatever it's called, if you've seen any, Moana is one, um, and there's been many others, their new logo is Steamboat Willie. Whistle, it's that one iconic scene from Steamboat Willie where he's whistling and he's steering the boat. Yeah. Um, so they took that one iconic scene and they're basically turning it into a trademark. So there you have the overlap. Um, and what Victoria was getting to earlier, what's important about trademark is that it's being used in commerce to identify your brand. So that is what, because something can easily be protected by copyright and trademark. Like even the Nike swoosh, something as simple as a Nike swoosh, that is an artistic rendering. It's an artistic design. So it could be a copyright, but they're using it predominantly as a trademark to identify their brand. So similarly, Steamboat Willie is definitely an artistic work and has been protected by copyright for so many years. And I even think in the 1976 Copyright Act, when that was passed, copyright was extended and some people speculate because Mickey Mouse, again, was about to fall in the public domain. So they rewrote the laws and extended it. And then again, it was about to be in the public domain. And then Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act came in in, in 1998. Um, so you can, I, I feel like Disney's used all of their lobbying. I don't think copyright, in my personal opinion, I don't think copyright will get any longer. I think if they passed a law and it was like, it's the lifetime of the author plus a hundred years, I think there'd be a huge backlash. And I think people are more aware of copyright than ever before because so many people are content creators. And even if they dabble, they know a little bit about copyright versus even in 98 and definitely in 76, you had, you know, big, um, entertainment companies, big content creators, they knew, but I don't think your average person was walking around the street going like, man, don't you think copyright's too long? Yeah, it is. I don't think they were, but I think nowadays, like everyone's making content and everyone is at least a little bit aware of copyright. It's sort of in the public consciousness more than ever. So I think if they try to extend it, people will be like, what the heck? I do think some people were even like, what the heck in 89 or rather 98. But um, it, it's still, they were still able to do it. Um, so I hope that answered some of the questions. There. Yeah, I, I, uh, as a follow-up to that. So I'm thinking uh, using, going to the Disney thing with that, Steamboat Willie, uh, going further with that. So if I was to then, so they're, they're trying to use that, that trademark to keep it going in some way. Now, well, what if I took, so, so actually, yeah. Okay, so let's say I wanted to take the story of that original film or whatever. I could recreate that story basically in its entirety and maybe just change the <coughs> character to look a little differently. But the story itself, is, is that something like, because uh, the, the artistic work at that time was not just the character, but what the character does and what he, right? It's part of the yeah, whole story. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's going to be actually a very interesting, it's going to be a very interesting legal situation when they go to defend it. Because if they have a trademark and not a copyright, they will be able to prevent somebody from holding out that image of Steamboat Willie and using it to represent their brand. So maybe they could stop people from putting it on the side of their building. 
Maybe they could stop if you put it on your album cover. Maybe they could stop that. But if you are, write a book and in your book you have that drawing of Steamboat Willie, Mickey Mouse, I don't know that they can do anything about it because that is more of a copyright issue. And now it's in the public domain, at least with regard to copyright. Um, so, so, you know, it's got to, I really think the only way they're going to be able to stop people using Steamboat Willie is if they're using it somehow to represent their brand. Victoria, what do you think about that? Yeah, like as a source identifier. And, and you're going to look at consumer confusion. Are people going to see how someone else is using Steamboat Willie and think, oh, this is a Disney product? You know, are they going to assume that because Steamboat Willie is on it, it comes from Disney or not? If, it's, if there's not a confusion about the source, I, I think the argument will be hard to make that it's any kind of trademark infringement. So I had this, yeah, uh, uh, talking a little bit more on that topic about something that Gandhi that is over here that never understand. Um, <laughs> I've been, I've been, um, okay. I've been seven times, uh, trying to take advantage. People had tried to take advantage of my copyrights seven times. So mm. I, I, I know a little bit of this because I had, a lot of years with meetings and stuff with my lawyers. So like, for example, another one of my registrations is uh, my robot suit. I'm a mechanical engineer, a music producer, and a DJ. And uh, the thing I created my own suit, right? I can just we, didn't can, can find we, something and put in, it uh, on top of me, right? Can you so share I the kind of like created my own suit and I got I actually got a registration from the United Patents Trademark Office, pack. right? Okay. Arturo, excuse yeah. me, can you show them uh, the, the, the helmet of the suit real quick? Uh, yeah. Yeah, share a photo. No, he's gonna, he's gonna share, yeah. Yeah, this is the first version, oh, cool. the second cool. version, and the third version cool. of it. And uh, if you wanna see what I mean, if I go to virtual background and put this and hit close, that's uh, basically that's we call the Robocop of the DJs. Uh, <laughs> the thing is that before Gandhi starts talking nonsense because he does, he's kind of like the people that doesn't understand because I've been years trying to talk to him about it, but he doesn't understand, is the fact that uh, four times already, uh, people had tried to copy my stuff and uh, the thing is that customers started like hiring these guys just because they thought they were me, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, because they, they didn't uh, create nothing from scratch, they just, uh, you know, bought something and put it on and now I'm this DJ, right? They put so the motorcycle helmet and uh, it, catcher. It, it created a lot of confusion for the client and I actually have about 700 something pieces of evidence of confusion and, and stuff. And, uh, you know, it even got to the point that big companies, uh, you know, put my logo on the flyer and they called them to play because they thought that were me, right? But the so thing wait, you have you have the design of that that helmet also registered as a trademark. So you have a patent yeah. in the design in the actual helmet, and then you also yeah. have a trademark for the picture of the helmet as yeah. your logo. Okay. Yeah, that's my. Suit. That's that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
And uh, I have it actually on the United States and also on Europe. So the, the thing is that, yeah, yeah, the thing is that <laughs> I actually can do something about it. And, you know, and that's something that I try, I've been years trying to, you know, explain that to Gandhi, but he doesn't quite get it, right? So in, in, no, in no, short wait, term, let me chime in. Wait, wait until I'm over. <laughs> so the thing is that putting putting it on simple terms, like for example, uh, Leo can design cars, right? Let's say Leo designed the chassis of a BMW car, and he built his own BMW for personal use. Like he's using it for his his car, you know. He, so BMW can do nothing about it because it's personal use. But if Leo is starting selling uh, copies of the BMW design, the BMW company will sue uh, Leo because he's obtaining, you know, ben uh, monetary gain of, of BMW design, yeah, right? I, I think that's where the whole, the fair use comes into play, where if it's within the personal group, you're kind of allowed to. The minute it goes out to public, that's when you no, it's just that when you're making money out of it, you will probably get sued if it's not your original content. That's yeah. how I I understand. Well, Maybe let, you let can. Let me chime in a second, and and you guys, a bit. you you guys can actually correct me if I'm um a little. I try to explain Arturo that always there's gonna be a second side to the like Huggies to Pampers or Pepsi to Coke or RC Cola, or, and you can the list goes on. So. You can be a robot DJ, but that doesn't mean there can not be a second or a third or a fourth uh, robot DJ. They just have to make it look a different, and they'll pass by, and the patents won't. Uh, I'm trying Brands to. Uh, territorial. Is that, is that actually, that actually correct? Is what he's saying is true. How, how much do you have to differentiate? Uh, like, if someone just wears a helmet and some kind of bodysuit, how how different does it have to be? Uh, like what is what is the what are the guidelines there? I would say, what do you think, Victoria? <laughs> well, I feel like you guys are mixing a couple different things to me. It sounds like so from the patents is separate from trademarks. Um, if if you're talking about somebody taking your uh, your design and they're basically recreating that design and then profiting off of your design. They're making replicas of this design and selling these helmets to people. Then that can be a patent infringement. They were supposed to ask for your permission to make replicas and to use that specific design. I'm gonna um, give you a specific thing, uh, Victoria. Let's say tomorrow, let's say uh, in theory, I'm ripping off Arturo, uh, King Arthur, and I say I go to a party city and I buy an Iron Man Hollywood costume and I start parading as a robot DJ. Can King Arthur sue me for okay, going to so now, the gig as a robot DJ with a so ripped off Iron Man uh, helmet? So you're talking more about now the trademark is, you know, that's his trademark look. Like he performs yeah. in this uniform and he is known as the robot DJ. And now you're also a robot DJ. So there, the question is gonna be, okay, are you providing the same product or service to the same geographic group of people uh, in the same marketplace? Uh, is it causing confusion? Are they going to you because they think you're him? 
And are you basically taking money away, a stream of income away from him because they're actually, they just think that you are the same person. If they know you're not the same person, I think there's an argument to be made that that wouldn't be an infringement. But if they, if they think that you are, then there's a bigger problem there. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. And I wanted to say, as when it comes to how much do you need to change, I think that's a tricky question. Because I would say you need to change enough so that people do not confuse the two DJs. Um, and I've heard this argument, and I, I actually heard it kind of recently at a, well, it's been a little while, but I heard a, a high school teacher say this. She goes, I'm using someone else's material. This is kind of going back to copyright a little bit, but she goes, I'm using someone else's stuff, but I changed it 75%. So that means I can use it, right? And I said, no, that's not true. And the other thing that I always find puzzling is how can you look at something like whatever it is creatively, let's go back to the robot costume. How would you know if you changed 75% of it? Does that mean just the ears? Like to me to look at an artistic creation, no matter what it is, and to try to break it into a fraction and be like, okay, I changed 96.5% of this. It, like it, I just, it always confused me how people would do that. But I, I hear it all the time, mostly in a copyright situation where it's like, I changed blank percent of this, so it should be all right. So, you know, really, again, even whether it's, well, well anyway, getting back to the point, yeah, I would say you need to change as much uh, so that it's not confusing, not confusingly similar is I think what the court would look at. And I do believe it's more of a trademark issue and less of a patent issue, unless you see their costume and it's like, you know, um, I, I don't know, because there's another saying in, in, in intellectual property that you are free to build a better mousetrap. So, you know, there are many mousetraps, going to your point, um, where there are, are many, um, you know, types of mousetraps, they all do the same thing, but they all do it in a way or they, they do, they achieve the same goal, but they get there in a different way. And what is protected is the way in which you, you get to the outcome, not the outcome itself. So that's a little bit, you know, uh, about that. But um, yeah, this is a very sort of like a very complicated overlapping uh, scenario. Here. So and, and yeah. I think it's interesting in, in Arturo's case specifically, um, I mean, there's been a number of people, but one specifically, I would say if you look at it, or me from my perspective, I, I look at the, the two suits and I, and I see that Arturo's is way more elaborate and way more interesting looking. It doesn't exactly look the same, but it, there are similar. There are similar Arturo enough. Took, Arturo took time and he designed it from scratch. The other guy basically took a motorcycle helmet. Um, Gandhi, but that doesn't, that doesn't need to... Gandhi, one thing. That doesn't really need to be exactly the same. If it generates confusion to the customer, and you have proof that you're generating confusion with it, then so you, my, you, my will, you can enforce your, the other your guy, rights. The other guy, the whole suit is black, yours is white. It doesn't matter. Well, what if I was it generates confusion, it will get sued. For well, example, talking about it, just in, in terms that maybe Gandhi at least hopefully this year can understand with this confirmation because we, this is a going on battle hey, since no, no, hey, 10 years from now. Hey, Victoria, so, so you will understand. That, 
For we example, fool around with this you a lot. Can, you can put yes, can a costume <laughs> of whatever you want. You know, there's a, a million things that you could put a costume of, right? If you want to be a panda that is a DJ, fine. That will not generate confusion with me, you know? But if you want to do something that is along the lines of what I do, and it actually generates confusion about it, and you have proof of that, well, it will, you know, you can use your, you can enforce your registration. That's anyway, kind of like the thing. To close this chapter, my point was, <laughs> uh, the people that are copying our friends are really short side. Like, it's not worth the legal hassle versus what they are actually producing. It's not a, it doesn't even ballpark wise, it's it's not worth it. But, but okay, I, Gandhi, one I, thing. I, I, this I, is this I, is my I, final I, argument with with. But I, I guess I I thought of you. Until I, today, allow me. I spend three hundred k on my project. Three hundred k. You think I won't take them to court? It, it, I it, have it, to defend myself. Yeah, because it, it I guess it's more of a issue of pride and and all the amount of effort you put into it, and somebody is benefiting. Because of it, but that, change the topic. They're not. They're not change benefiting. The topic. That's like a little <laughs> bitch that they're talk. They're they're doing like a sweet sixteen party for yeah, a but, couple of uh, dollars. Gandhi, whatever. It, it change is what the it topic. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, to close, what I was going to say was that uh, I think they actually answered the question pretty well, which is Alturo's. I think in this case, right, because he has proof that there has been confusion in the marketplace. Uh, and whether or not I think, like I see the two of them, and I guess because I know, I see one as way more quality in terms of what Arturo does versus the other person and what they look like, it still has created enough confusion where he's been harmed. So I think he does have, a, I think by your definition, he does have a pretty strong case because he has well-documented cases of harm in, 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 you know, uh, that he has been contacted by people. He has been, uh, there has been lots of confusion in the marketplace. And this person hasn't done anything to, to necessarily, you know, dis correct the those. confusion. Yeah, correct the confusion exactly. So, I, I I would I would see like the way you guys explain it. I think Alturo definitely does have a strong case. And so Gandhi, sorry, <laughs> I think take the love, brother. Take the I, I, I get he can he can see people, but at Gandhi. the other day, it's it's like they're they're so uh, out of the. Uh, they're not in the orbit, like. Um, but still, they're not it's, relevant. It, it, they're not relevant enough. Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi, whatever. Take the loss. Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna. I want to. I'll interject with one thing. So sometimes in trademark, you can actually lose your mark if you don't defend it. So if you know that somebody else is using a similar mark to yours, um, if you don't go after them and say, hey, stop using that, I own this, it can dilute your mark, it can, it can actually cause you to lose your ownership of it because you did not defend it. So there is, I know what you're saying, you know, does it, is it worth going after this person who may not even be able to pay you the damages that you're asking for? Um, and, you know, is it worth the headache and all of the time and everything? I get, I totally understand where you're coming from. But with so with trademark law, sometimes you have to, otherwise you could end up losing the value of your mark. Yeah, it, it was Chris was saying, it's how long you stay in commerce. I mean, you, you got to push for it to stay relevant and out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, to... 
we, we got a change, little bit sidetracked. Change the topic about oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> We got a Please. little bit sidetracked because <laughs> this is an ongoing battle whenever we, we talk about it. it it's just... It's never ending story, but hey. Well, no, it, it, it is, is. It's no longer never ending because I think... It just ended. It just ended. It just, just yeah, it just ended. Please. Thank you, Victoria Thank you, and Chris, Next for ending. <laughs> so speaking of enforcing... Let uh, me go back to something earlier, which is... Uh, I was a great tangent, by the way, but I, I, I wanted to go back to... Uh, something that I also read when I was reading the, the Steve O'Willy stuff, which is I think Batman comes into the marketplace like in 2030 something, and uh, apparently, and but and, and I was reading how the so people could then theoretically use Batman in stories as of that day, but they would only be able to use the incarnation of Batman that existed at the time of the original publication. So. For example, storylines that involve necessarily—I don't know—I don't know what year the Joker came in or the Penguin or whatever—but storylines that involve those characters couldn't be used until the time moving forward. Um, and but that brought me to an interesting—I guess another an, an interesting like crossroads of trademark and copyright, I guess, which is the Batman symbol, for example, is very iconic. So if you were to tell a Batman story and use the could. So could you use the Batman name and symbol? I know because the stories are in the public domain, but the symbol is still iconic and still in use, and the name is still iconic and still in use. Uh, what would somebody, let's say I want to make a Batman story and sell, maybe make a, my own version, my own movie of it, you know, uh, would I be able to use the Batman logo and name and Bruce Wayne and all that stuff, all those details uh, in my version even though it's not a, associated with DC, uh, like well, how would that work? It just blows my mind. Like, it, it seems really complicated to me how that would work. Chris, yeah. Wanna... <laughs> I'll, 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 yeah, I'll try. I mean, I agree with you that um, even going back to the Steamboat Willie thing, I think, uh, you know, that is going to enter the public domain, but I believe that that version of Mickey Mouse will enter the public domain. So any other... If you look at Mickey Mouse now versus Mickey Mouse in Steamboat Willie, he's very different. He's very he's skinnier in Steamboat Willie. He's black and white. Um, yeah, yeah, his face is more mouse-like. I don't know. Um, so so anyway, that version will fall into the public domain. So similarly, Batman, I would say like that version of it would fall into the public domain. But you bring up a really great question about the trademark. Um, I don't know. You know, trademarks generally don't fall into the public domain. I mean, if they're being used in commerce, I guess they could become a dead mark and, and what have you. But Batman, we all know, is alive and well. Um, so I would think, you know, I think we'd have to research a little bit more. What were they using in, in that issue, whatever issue it is, uh, wherever Batman first appeared, whether it was a comic book or whatever it was. You know, were they using the bat symbol as we know today? Were they calling him Batman? Did he have some other weird name? How were they writing? What what font were they using for Batman? Like all of those nuanced, um, like specifics, would need to be analyzed, um, and then you know maybe parts of that might be coming you know coming to the public domain, but other larger elements like the name Batman or, or the symbol as we know it now might still be protected under, under trademark. But I, you know, it's, it, we're getting real tricky. I don't know. What, what do you think, Victoria? 
Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, the first the first thing you got to look at is okay, what was the original um, embodiment of the the bat? Was the bat symbol even used back then? And I'll give you guys an, a more current example that might kind of cl clarify it. So you know, maybe you won't know actually. Um, Kristen Stewart, you guys know that actress, the Twilight actress. Yes. She, you know how she did a a Snow White movie recently. They Snow, White, called, I Snow White yeah. and the Huntsman. When you say recently, yeah. in the past 10 years. Right, in my life, if it was in the last 10 years, it's like yesterday. Um, so yes, so that Snow White and the Huntsman, the reason that movie is possible is because it's based on the story Snow White from the Brothers Grimm. You know, I think they were the ones that originally wrote it. It's for, you know, they, they were from a long time ago. Now, if they made a movie today with Snow White and she had these seven small singing dwarves hanging out with her that had funny names, then that would probably be infringement of the Disney version of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. But the original Snow White, I don't think they had like happy little dwarves. I think that if there were dwarves, they certainly, they were not like singing about working in the mines and having fun, cute names. They were, those, those fairy tales back then were usually to teach a lesson and they had terrible endings. Like <laughs> I, in The Little Mermaid, she kills herself. You know, like it's, it's like a really sad, horrible, it takes a real turn, not like what you see today. So if you're copying that original story, then that's okay. But if you're, if you're, you have to be really careful with these stories that have come through time and they've been recreated by other people because sometimes people don't realize that what they are taking is actually from the newer stuff and not the original. And the original is in the public domain, but that newer stuff is still protected. Yeah, I've heard, to piggyback off of that, Victoria, I was watching, um, I think it was a panel at Full Sail, but it was about um, movies and maybe script writing or something like that. And I don't know if you showed it to me, it seems kind of up your alley, but they said that, that sometimes they're more reluctant to take public domain works, even though, you know, we would think, sure, take public domain works, like they're, they're free for everyone. But if something's been interpreted and reinterpreted and reinterpreted, and there's like 20 versions of this public domain work, there's a good chance that your, your 21st version is going to have some similarities with the 20 protected versions, even if you don't really realize it. And I thought that was a really interesting point and that I had never thought of. I always thought public domain, sure, uh, go, go nuts, go bonkers. But some of these things have been remade and remade and remade and remade. And then you need to, if you're going to buy that property, let's say Universal wants to buy, you know, whatever, Snow White, we'll stick with that. They need to go through every version of Snow White since 1925 and make sure that their new version does not share any similarities with any other version of Snow White. And that could be a daunting task. Um, you know, it, it could be harder than coming up with an original story, maybe. Yeah, and maybe not worth the money. Yeah, absolutely. Right. A lot of screening time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Now, what, one, one, going back to kind of what we, what, you know, what the music side of it and what we do uh, uh, with, producing and stuff like that when you do you have to copy or do you, when, you, when you ask for a copyright obviously there's the recording right of it uh the master right the, the, how about like the lyrics and music is that all separate do you have to copyright things separately like lyrics music uh sheet music or 
the recording itself covers all of it? How does that work? It, well, that's it depends. It always depends. <laughs> Everything. Yeah, depends. Well, we were talking about earlier how there is a sound recording. Uh, there's a sound recording and then there's the musical work, which is the melody and the lyrics. So usually, and but, but you can, you know, nowadays you could upload um, an MP3 of, it's a sound recording, but you can use that as a tangible version of melody and lyrics. And, and you know, you can kind of protect all of those. Um, and I even think if there's the same author, I, I forget the exact. That's the thing is, so is there more than one author? If you ha the rule is if you have the same author, if it's like a single author, I believe, then yes, you can register and protect the underlying work and the sound recording all in one, one thing. But if you don't just have one author, if it's a collaborative thing, then you need to do separate registrations. But I, that part, I, that's not my specialty. So I don't want to speak too affirmatively on that yeah, area. I think, I think that is, is, is correct. And then if they are separate, just know that one is going to protect the melody and the lyrics in sort of an abstract way. So those will be bundled together. Um, and I think you're, you're welcome to upload the lyrics separately. Um, but I, I think, uh, uh a sound recording embodying the melody and lyrics would be enough to protect it. But I suppose if you want to get into more detail and you want to upload sheet music, you want to upload a lyric sheet, you want to upload, you know, a recording of it. If you want to upload, you know, more things, I'm sure the copyright office wouldn't mind that. Um, but I think a, a sound recording alone with, with, a, with lyrics and a melody on it would be enough to protect it. And again, just divide it in those things, melody and lyrics over here, sound recording over here, which is one particular recording. So when you're coming to, to the lyric thing, it makes me think, I, we, we talked earlier about the melodies and the notes, and you said that, you know, as long as the melodies are iconic enough, or, you know, like the two notes with the, with the Jaws thing, or, or the bass line from uh, Ladies Night, then they're probably protected because they're very uh, specific enough. In terms of lyrics, how no, many Leo, words? So Leo, give me a second. So this is uh, this should be the sample. One second. Give it a second. It's coming up now. Yeah, I, I'm scrolling through Spotify. So give me a second. Oh, this. Oh. So that little, that's what it. Yeah, give it a little volume. Yeah, that was what's it called? Uh, we didn't really get our money's worth with that little clip you played, but it's okay. Um, can I can I go again or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's just <laughs> okay. No, so what I'm asking is, so if we're talking about, uh, so in terms of music, a few a, a few mel a few notes are enough as long as they're iconic enough. How many words in a row or lyrics? I know I'm guessing there's no hard and fast rule about that either, but. Uh, because I know, like, for example, in, in a lot of hip-hop songs, they'll kind of shout out older versions of, the, uh, of, the, of different of previous songs. I'll give you an example just off the top of my head, which, again, it just popped in, which was like, uh, the, it's about to go down, right? So, so Pitbull used that, and that's an old, that's from, from uh, I think, from probably Big Pun or something like that. And it's, it's uh, or, or Jay-Z, it's, it's just like an old lyric that he took and he used it in a different song. And that, when I, when I heard it, 
instantly I was like, oh, I've heard that before, because of course he's shouting it out. Now, of course, that's not the chorus. It's not the main part. It's just a lyric of the Pitbull, song. Pitbull is classic doing stuff like this. No, no, yeah, no, that's just one example. And I don't know if tons. he probably has permission to all of them. No, 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 but my, my question is no. So I know, for, for example, Pitbull is well known for taking other artists' work and licensing them and making new versions and doing that stuff and getting involved. Uh, I've never heard him, well, that I know of. I don't think he's ever gotten in, like, sued. I, I'm pretty sure he does it legally. But my question is, for a lyric like that, which is just a small part of the song, and it's not like the chorus or the, you know, uh, you know, it's not it's not a major part of the song. It's it's just part of one sentence and one paragraph of one lyric. How much of that it has to be, like, what are the protections there, and how would that work? That's the question. Oh, well, so I have a return yeah. question for you. When when you take it's about to go down. It's in a specific cadence, right? It's and it's specifically recreating the way that it was said or the the uh -huh. tune of it. It's not like he's saying it's about to go down. He's exactly. he's doing it in a very specific way. So while short phrases are not protected by copyright, usually you would protect a short phrase using a trademark. But if you take a short phrase out of a fully copyrighted work and you're you know replicating the cadence and everything, now all of a sudden it is, I think, infringement because the reason people recognize it is because of the original art. And if you think about it, and there's there's a couple cases on this, if the whole reason that you, you're shouting out that track is because you want people to recall the original because the original was such a big hit that you want like that, it's almost a give, it, it affords a certain amount of credit to your, your new work because it's like, oh, you know the classics, so now, this is yeah. also like a, an homage to that credibility and 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 yeah, yeah. So and it's still an cases, even though it's a little bit. And I think in those cases, mo most of them are friends and buddies, and they're just you know you're just you know take it as a, as an as an homage to the old song. There, it's just I mean they, they they don't waste time on suing each other. I think. I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I've seen some cases where they do sue each other, but yes, a lot of times for little things like that, they don't necessarily they won't necessarily pursue them, especially if it is, you know, among friends. But remember, just because the artists are friends doesn't mean their labels don't want to get paid. And, you know, you know who really owns a lot of that stuff yeah, is the label. Who owns the masters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. No, but how about in terms of, so I know, I know there, uh, actually, so Jay-Z was the originator of that previous example. Uh, but I know that uh, other rappers have claimed that he steals lyrics. Now, obviously, uh, say, but how about saying those same words, but in a different cadence and a different rhythm, whatever? But if, because uh, I know, I remember there was a there was a whole thing a while back that uh, online, and somebody put together clips of Jay Z lyrics that were supposedly uh, co copied off of other people's songs, and they were like again sentences or rhymes that he used, and apparently they were similar enough for this person to say, oh, he he stole the, he stole that rhyme. Um, but if you're not saying in the same cadence, I mean, only certain, I mean, there's only so many things you can rhyme with certain words, right? So how, how, how deep, uh, I mean, how much protection can you actually afford? There's only a certain amount of words and certain things that sound the same. So, you know, um, um well, I was going to say it, it might kind of like with trademark law, they're looking at consumer confusion in copyright law. They're going to look at substantial similarity. So basically, if you showed a jury, you know, in this hypothetical example, 
if you showed them, you know, one, one phrase, and let's say the melody is totally different, but the words are the same, and then, you know, exhibit two, the words are the same, different melody, would a jury think that those are substantially similar? Um, you know, so it's hard. It's, you know, with art and, and this stuff that we're talking about, it's real hard to sort of really separate, okay, well, the words are over here and the melody's over here. A lot of times they're interwoven. Um, and, you know, that's going to determine, like Victoria talked about the cadence, you know, that's important. Uh, whereas if you say the same thing, um, you know, so, some, especially if they're like generic, like laying in my bed, sleeping on my head, you know, or something, whatever. <laughs> that's not original. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, but if it's something really unique, like very specific, where if you say it, you're recalling this very specific thing um you know then it might it might come into play um so they're going to look at a uh, substantial similarity you know that's the standard that they'll look for are the two works substantially similar so you know and a lot of times it is subjective you know i mean even if you go to court and you get in front of a jury you know what what one person thinks is like whoa that's the same another person might be like i don't hear it i don't hear it at all and so, you know, so you're working with all these different uh viewpoints I remember the the blurred lines example from a few years ago. Uh, I was kind of shocked when I heard the song they supposedly uh, ripped off, and I was like, ah, "Really? Like, because I didn't really hear it. I I, I mean, maybe, yeah. but it didn't seem similar enough for me. I mean, even as a DJ or as a consumer, I was thinking, really, that that constituted cop, but." No yeah, I, no, I, I agree with you on that one. I, I think the court got that one wrong. Like, I think, I think he is, they're emulating a, a, a genre or a vibe or a, a mood and atmosphere, whatever you want to say, which yeah. actually is allowed under the law. If the baselines were identical or even, even substantially similar, uh, I would say, you know, maybe there's something there. But the, the baselines and the vocal lines there's so many differences that you could say, okay, this is influenced by that. I can hear a little bit of the Marvin Gaye influence in there. I can hear it a yeah. little bit, but not to the level, to me, it's just a, a genre or a, um, an atmospheric, a mood thing. And I even, I read some article online comparing like note, note by note, because again, the, the melody and the lyrics need to be the same, right? For it to be infringement. So you can look at the lyrics right away and go, the lyrics are not similar at all. Like no similarity whatsoever. So now you need to look at the melody. Are the melodies, you know, not the, you know, the chord isn't really supposed to look at, is someone snapping in the background or is there someone going like, woohoo in the background? Yeah, that really should, yeah, woo. Like that shouldn't make or break the case. You know, they should look at what is the, the melody line. And in my opinion, those, melody lines are, are different they're different enough i think uh maybe that maybe it's the same tempo but tempo is not uh protected by copyright law you know um so yeah, yeah anyway that's a great example and i honestly think they got it wrong and i don't know what happened in that case so what did the case hey, of you, uh, uh, you want to know something funny that i do every time i finish a track and this is this is just you know i have you know just to have, so I can have peace of mind, uh, because you know there's all there's billions of songs out there, right? So the thing is that when I actually finish a song, I always 
kind of like use Chess M on my own song on each part just okay. to double check That's a cool that tool. in existence, you know, there isn't something that it will, it's matching the track that I just did, you know? Uh. And I never got a hit so far, but if I got one, I'm just, you know, going to check it out and, and you know, because I mean, there's only about a handful keyboards, uh, keyboard keys, you know, and right. a handful of things that you could do, right? So, you know, I don't know. It's just something that I usually do. Just okay, to be really cool tool. Check. That's a good thing to suggest to people. I like that. Yeah, where do you go? Because honestly, um, one of our students, Victoria Murfito, he was asking me if there was some place that you, he could go to, like cross-reference you know, melodies or, or whatever. And I, I was, I didn't, I didn't know there was like such a database. Well, Shazam, he was talking about You're using oh, the Shazam, Shazam app. Oh, Shazam. Yeah. Just let it, let it listen and see if it yeah. thinks it's something else. That's smart. Yeah. I like that. That's a great idea. Uh, also, like, <laughs> I, I wonder how does, does that work with like digital watermarks or is it literally picking up the melody? Like, I mean, Shazam, I, I, I know a little bit of, of how Shazam works. It actually listens to the tempo, the keys, the difference between um, each uh, note, melody notes, the, it actually compares something as much as the dynamic range of the song. It, it compares a lot of things and uh, to, to make, you know, to be able to discern and, okay, this is similar to this, you know, and then suggest the, the same song. That is cool. I will, I'll recommend that to him. But that's a good test, right? Play it back, and if she's picks it up, you know. Have you had any matches to this day? No, is that no? No. But I mean, I just do it to have peace of mind. You took it. You took it about a thorough guy. He. Yeah, exactly. I like it. I'm an engineer. I'm an engineer, so I'm like meticulous. He's as meticulous and thorough as they come. That's for sure. But it makes sense, you know, it makes sense. I mean, for example, you could do something like that, da, da, and probably you'll find a lot of songs that use that same sequence, like da, 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 you know? Yeah. So it kind of like just have to where and how they use it and how, you know, it's, it's, a, no, you're it's totally a topic. Right. It's a topic that lies on the details, right? So Yes. No, Even so, I, I totally agree with Chris on the blurred lines case. I also believe that they got that one completely wrong. But it's a really good example of the the danger of you know the fact that it's a jury that's going to be deciding your case, and the jury is not made up of professional musicians. You know, I joke around that if my dad had to be on a jury for a rap song, and it was like <laughs> they played two rap songs, he'd be like, "Yep, those both sound like trash. It's infringement." You know, like he, he wouldn't be able to tell that they're, you know, the differences. He'd just be like, oh, yes, they're, they're both awful. So it's people like that on the jury, no offense, dad, um, that are like, they have no idea what they're really listening for or how to really tell. And they're just kind of just going on their gut. And there is, you know, some of it is about the gut feeling. Does it recall a certain mood like Chris was talking about? But it's more, to me, you know, that case was wrong. Just because it recalled the mood didn't make it infringement. So what you no. said right now, it's, it's interesting because for house music that a lot of people produce, let's say in 126 BPM, and they're using most of the same keys for a jury, that would be really interesting because it would 
a lot of people would be winning cases. I did this track in 1990 and somebody ripped me off in 2020 and <laughs> it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the different genres, uh, cause you bring up a good point, like house music, it's almost like you could say, well, they're only using these notes and maybe they're ripping each other off, but it's like, in order to be house music, you need to sound this way. If you don't it's sound housey. that house music. <laughs> so yeah, you need that far on the floor. You know wow. what I mean? Yeah, it's sort of like, it's sort of interesting when you get into genre specific sounds, how, you know, what might be allowable, what might and, be And in house music, the, the people are so purist that you're trying to maintain that element of what the house music is. You don't try to innovate or go overboard. You're still in the core of what house music is. Right, absolutely. I mean, just imagine for a second that what would happen with uh, hip hop if someone could register an 808? Right, <laughs> right. That everyone, you know, Which, it's like. Arturo brings yeah. a good point because I remember in class, Victoria, when we talked about uh, James Brown's drummer, who was, who was accredited to uh, inventing the hip hop beat in a drum. But you could have yeah. been making millions of dollars if he would have registered the original actual drum beat of a hip hop song way back in the 60s and 70s when he worked with James Brown. Wow. Yeah. Well, and you know, in the 60s and 70s, it's so sad. You know, they had set musicians back then that they got paid for the set. You know, they, they were just, it was, a, you come in, you play. And some of them, there's, there's a really great documentary on Netflix called The working the wrecking crew i think it's called oh, um yeah. do you know what i'm talking about yeah i know what you're talking about yeah. they're studio musicians right yeah yes yeah. and they um you know some of them they'd be in there working with like say the beach boys and they'd be like what if i do this and it and it ends up being like the iconic thing about the song and they, and they never they got get, they got paid $500 or, you know, back then, you know, $200 for the day, but they actually made that song, you know, iconic, so. that's and a because sad. they were paid for their time there, they don't have any rights yeah. to whatever they made. That, that's right? a sad thing about work for hire. They just get hired to do a job and you don't have any claim over what you actually ended up doing. So it's sad. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that what Gandhi said about the house music also applies, like in thinking we're in Puerto Rico, to reggaeton. Reggaeton is a very specific, I mean, if you talk to people who like reggaeton, uh, there are songs that are like pop Latin stuff or whatever, like even songs like like Despacito, which is a huge hit internationally, which most people, regular people, would consider reggaeton. Reggaeton purists here would probably say, eh. eh. <laughs> so now, now, now that you come up, now that you come up with the reggaeton, no, the mm -hmm. basic base of the reggaeton is from the dance hall, Panamanian yeah. and, and Jamaica. But, Those don't guys come in and come hard on the reggaeton. Hey, you are using my bases from my original dance hall roots slash. I mean, but also in a reggae and dance hall, they have, a, uh, they have this whole thing also, like a culture of people using similar beats and sound. They, they call them like rhythms and stuff like that. Like, oh, and, and they'll, they'll make different songs using the same, oh. like, the same rhythm, whatever. That happens a lot in reggae music. I see that all the time. It's probably like a, like a chord progression. Same thing as like, you know, a chord progression. You, you, can, re, you can use those. Those are short phrases. They are not protected by copyright. So uh, I changed the sub subject pretty drastically, but it's something that's also in the zeitgeist of what's going on in Puerto Rico right now. I don't know how familiar you guys are with Puerto Rico politics at all. Um, we have mm -hmm. an independent candidate uh, named Alexandra Lugaro, and she is running for governor. 
the two, uh, her, her new party is running against the two major, well, two of the three major political parties here in Puerto Rico. And she's getting a lot of traction. And she's also getting a lot of attention for something she did recently, which was she recreated uh, a commercial um, from a campaign in, I think it was, uh, I don't know. Argentina. Like, like 11 years ago from Argentina, I think it was. Like 2011 or something or 2009. I'm not sure what year, but it was uh, like 10 years ago. And there was this campaign that trying to get people to not just obviously support the party, but to actually support and register to be uh, poll watchers, to register to actually be there so, to help count the votes, because the argument is we have to be there to count the votes or we might not get our votes counted, which is, you know, a fair argument. And apparently the, 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 the commercial was really powerful and it was very, uh, I assume, effective because they wanted to copy it. And the message very good. So what she did basically was she told people we're inspired. We're going to release our com campaign commercial. We're inspired by. She, she basically accepted up front that this was something that they were inspired by. But then the the, the commercial came, comes out and it's basically 98% verbatim the other commercial. It was very very almost shot by shot, almost word for word, the same commercial as that campaign from Argentina from 10 years ago, and. Obviously, the detractors came and said, oh, she's a plagiarist and she's stealing and, and it's a whole thing. And I wonder legally, uh, obviously, you guys maybe haven't seen the commercials or whatever, but trust me, they're very, very similar. Uh, I want to know what your feeling is initially. What uh, Do you think she did anything, well, forget about wrong or right, but legal or illegal or what kind of thing? Because I, I'm, I'm, again, this is a, a campaign that, was 10 years ago. Campaign ad. It's not, you don't get money off of it. So I mean, how do you monetize? Yeah, but, but even, even though, because uh, Leo's, argue, Leo's argument is that the campaign is over, right? Hold on, let's, let's, I don't want to make any assumptions. That's why I'm saying uh, there's a whole bunch of assumptions that could be made about it in terms of, you know, it's an old campaign, it's a different country. Legally speaking, what, what are your initial thoughts on this? I, obviously, I understand that you guys don't maybe have the actual information, but just your gut, what would it tell you? About that situation. Well, I wonder, Victoria, do you think international law, do you think like Argentinian law would come into it and what their copyright policies are and things of that nature? That was my, my first question is what's, what is the rule in Argentina? Because you guys are assuming that United States copyright laws would apply to the original campaign commercial. So, you know, if that did receive copyright protection, then maybe, but it, it may not receive copyright protection. Maybe Argentina, Argentina doesn't have the same types of rules about political things or even art. You know, they, they may not have the same, and I, and I don't know, I'm, I am not versed in copyright law in Argentina, so I have no idea how they protect their art. Let's, let's just um, say there had been a campaign for, just to be on the, you know, let's bring it to where we are. If it had been a campaign from uh, Kentucky or some other, some other, someplace in the U.S., and it was a, a local campaign and it was a really well done one. And they said, you know what, I'm going to take that campaign because it's a similar thing we were trying to do here. And it was in the U.S. and in the U.S. laws applied. What would your initial uh, reaction to it be? I would think that it absolutely would be copyright infringement. I mean, I'd have to see more facts, but I would say the fact that it is not for profit or the fact that it's political doesn't really i don't believe it it matters maybe unless there's something i don't i don't know but i would encourage you guys to think not only about profit um profit is one thing making profit but it's really about 
taking someone else's property without permission and using it without permission. So no, even if you're not monetizing it, uh, yes, you do have something. Yeah, now my question would be, uh, doesn't that, wouldn't that fall under educational yeah. purposes for fair use? I don't think, I, I personally don't think political, well, no, it wouldn't be educational. Uh, I don't know if, if political has its own caveat, but I kind of don't think so. No. Since they keep getting sued by artists, they keep using uh, songs, whether it's like Born in the USA way back when, or whether it's like Trump using a bunch of songs like Rockin' in the Free World by Neil Young. Neil Young is like trying to sue Trump and whatever, the Trump organization or, or Trump campaign, campaign yeah. whatever it is. So, you know, judging by that, I don't think there is a political exception. So, you know, just because it's a nonprofit and just because it's not be making money doesn't mean that it's not copyright infringement and doesn't mean that it's still not illegal. Yeah, if, if you don't have permission to use it, you should ask so, permission to use it. But because my, the, the idea behind being educational is the, the, uh, in this specific case of the campaign is they're trying to educate the younger people to go out and vote. They're trying to no, encourage no, them. Actually, they were trying to get people to understand the, the need for poll watchers per se and to get people to inspire to do that. So they were kind of, I guess, educating people on the, necess the necessity of it. So maybe that's where uh, uh, Nano's coming in on it. Well, people confuse that educational. So fair use, first of all, just yes. so you guys understand fair use. Fair use is, in order to even assert this defense of fair use, you have to first admit that you are committing copyright infringement. So you can't, you, it's a defense. It, it's not an, like a, it's not a, a free pass to do whatever you want. It just means, hey, yes, I broke the law, but I have a really good excuse and, and I think I should get away with it. And then if you have a good excuse, you have to look at the categories of, that are considered fair use categories. Um, they look at educational purposes. Educational though, guys, is generally speaking, like in a classroom setting, um, they haven't, there's not a lot of case law right now about, you know, even YouTube, you know, like I could teach you how to play the guitar on YouTube and that hasn't necessarily been established as traditional teaching, uh, you know, that what people consider educational purposes that may not be considered fair use. So, okay. so for example, if I take a piano and put on YouTube, how to play, don't stop believing, uh, journey in this case, Jonathan Cain can come over and sue me for playing his song on YouTube. Yep. He could, but most likely what he'll do is like what you guys talked about earlier. He'll monetize they'll, you know, they'll probably play an ad before that little YouTube video of you teaching how to play. Don't stop believing. And he'll collect money from all the people who go watch you teach them how to play his song. I have a, you, I have, you did all I the work and you get some money. I, 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 I want to know I, your I, take on uh, YouTube. Uh, let me break you off for a second. Uh, Leo, uh, in the campaign, does she admit she uses the oh, campaign? Yeah, before we change the subject. So uh, I, my understanding is that she, before they released the commercial, she said that what they were going to do and she admitted she was inspired by, she never took any kind of credit saying we created this ad ourselves. It's, she never passed it off as her own idea or her own work. And I, I heard people arguing, obviously, you know, on Facebook and Twitter, you, you read a lot of arguments that may or may not be uh, the best. Uh, many are very specious to begin with, but I, I, would, I would say that uh, I saw one particular that seemed, the person 
Elise was very articulate and claimed that part of, maybe it was, that, that, that was a defense of it, was saying that she never tried to take any credit for it. Uh, and that that was partially a partial defense. And I was like, is that true? I don't know if that's true. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's also a misunderstanding. I see Chris smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we're hitting all the myths of copyright. It's amazing to me that they are still around, but you know, maybe I, I teach it so that um, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, gi giving um, credit is a, a miss. It's misunderstood. So if you give someone credit, you're, it does not absolve you from any kind of copyright, um, you know, obligations. It just let, it just lets them know that you are taking it. So it just kind of and that you're off. aware that it's not yours. Yeah. So you're, 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 you're basically you're basically you're, 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 you're admitting it. Yeah, you're just basically it's gonna be easier to sue you because you're admitting it. <laughs> right, right. It's more incriminating than anything yeah. else. When it comes so, to a tribute band or somebody that's doing a tribute to a, what, where does the infringement come there that they're like doing paying like homage? Uh, yeah, well, well, probably if you are playing, let's say you're doing like a Van Halen cover band, um, you know, mo as far as covering their songs live, that's not a problem because the, the venue most likely has a blanket license to cover all the songs. Um, you know, the problem would arise if people actually think you're Van Halen. So we're sort of back to the trademark situation. But if you go like, not Van Halen live or whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But as long as you, you are, are, are making people aware that you are not uh, them and there's no consumer confusion, I believe that it's all right. I don't, I don't know all that. I haven't really researched too much about, about tribute bands. Um, but I would think, you know, the music should be covered under the blanket public performance license. And as long as they don't believe it's the, the actual band, I think you would be all right. That's my- Christopher. Life. Talking yeah. about what you just said, uh, a few, actually a few months ago, I think, or a few weeks ago, uh, Daddy Yankee, uh, I mean, he's record label, but obviously he's, he knows, he sued uh, one of the, uh, one guy that was uh, doing the performance as him, but, you know, telling God, like an imitator of him. So he actually, the imitator actually got sued. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, if you are not letting people know that you're not the actual nope. person, that can be problematic. In this case, yeah. a guy looks exactly like him, sounds like him, well, but, uh, but, but like he builds him. himself <laughs> as an imitator. He builds himself. He's not saying he's Daddy Yankee, though. But still, it he, might be he, a right of publicity issue then. You yeah, know, if you're, it's the, you know, using somebody's image, their face, their likeness, the sound of their voice for but, commercial purposes no, without it, it, permission. No, because it sounds like him, dresses like him, same sunglasses, same, yeah. same everything, even the, the same uh, little. So the trademark issue there too. He's using his yeah, trademark yeah, look. He, he's suable on all angles for sure. What does that what does that say about all the Elvis Presleys in the in the states that <laughs> Elvis is has passed away, um, and we would need to look at the right of publicity statutes in the state where Elvis died. Where where was he? Uh, what is the when? Where did he was file it, taxes? Was it Memphis, when he passed? His homestead. Yes, his homestead. homestead. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Was it Memphis? I don't know if it was. He was from Memphis, but I don't know if he died in Memphis, though. 
So you want to look at both. I, I, you cross-reference where he was born and where he died. Um, and then you look at the, the right of publicity, posthumous right of publicity, which means how long does the right, his right of publicity last after he dies? Because every state has different rules. So it depends. That's why we always say the answer depends. Because you have to look lawyer. at all these yeah. different things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just have one final uh, thing to, to talk. Um, you guys uh, earlier were talking about YouTube and monetization, right? So my question, I just want to know your opinion on this, on this. Gamers versus DJs, right? They both uh, do content using other content that is not theirs, right? I mean, gamers, they're just like playing, reacting to the game and stuff, but they're using visually the whole screen for a game that actually is not theirs, right? They're just on this little corner, oh, they shoot me, blah, blah, blah. And you know, they're playing, right? And DJs, uh, because it happened to me, uh, for example, I do a DJ set about like one hour and I play my original tracks and I also play small, stuff of other guys you know but you get infringed my my i don't get the monetization views it gets split between all the all the copyright and stuff right and gamers have a hundred percent of what they do yeah. so i just want to know your take on that they're both I, using content that is not theirs but right. they get a hundred percent and we don't that's a really great point i think um and then victoria you can chime in what you what you think but I think it has to do with the culture of the industry. So I think um, music and especially movies, but music, they're much more protective and looking for copyright infringement and, and shutting it down. And it seems to me, because I've heard this before, what you're saying, it seems to me that the gaming industry wants people to be playing, like live streaming their play, playing, and they really like that. And maybe they feel the good outweighs the bad as far as copyright. And they feel like it's bringing more attention and interest in the games and, and whatever, basically, you know, rising ties, lift all boats type of idea. Like the industry's getting more attention, more games are selling and it's a, it's a net positive. Whereas the music industry might be more aggressive and maybe it's just that it's an older industry. Honestly, gaming is maybe, you know, uh, more of a progressive mindset um, when it comes to maybe copyright laws. Um, but anyway, I think, it, it, I, you know, I see what you're saying. There's very little difference um, if you look at it academically. But I think the culture of the uh, industries is a little bit different. Uh, but what, what do you think, Victoria? I agree that I, I think the culture is very different. I, you know, and I understand the comparison that you're trying to make that it's other people's content i think there is an more of an argument to be made that the when someone is playing a video game and they are talking over it and don't be mad at me for saying this but i i think that the people are coming to your youtube channel to watch you play the game and to hear you talk over the game it's not about watching the game itself but it's about the the experience the of you yeah whereas with maybe with when you're a dj and this isn't true of all djs but sometimes people are just going because they want to hear the music like they're they're really the focus there is i want to hear the music and maybe it's your take on the music but you're not really talking over the audio you're using the audio and you're slicing it up so 
I, I kind of see both sides. I think the reason they're getting away with it more is number one, that culture thing, but number two, it could be maybe considered more in line with the fair use argument of uh, a commentary. You know, they're commenting on somebody else's work. So yeah. I didn't even, Victoria, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. The fact that there's talking over it. I've seen things that have like blown my mind on YouTube that someone would talk over it. Like for example, um, the, I think the whole movie Apocalypse Now is on YouTube and someone's talking over it and they're like talking about director, like the director, what they were going for in the scene, how it compares to the novel, um, what the actors were feeling. They're literally narrating over the entire movie. And in my, in my lawyer brain, I'm like, how is this entire movie on YouTube without being taken down? But they're literally commenting on the whole thing. And I think that makes it allowable. Um, so if you're commenting a lot or, or, or often over your, uh, your video game play, maybe, maybe that is a, you know, kind of a thing that's, that's saving them a little bit. I mean, that's funny because some DJs actually take the phone, the, the microphone, and each 30 seconds, they're like, hey, blah, 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 you know? Right, right. Well, right. and they might have an argument then. But so that goes back, and I do want to just clarify this. So with the fair use argument, you're doing something wrong. You're taking somebody's stuff without permission, but you might have a good excuse for doing it. Uh, and when I say a good excuse, it's the balance between copyright law and the First Amendment. The First Amendment says you have the freedom of speech to express yourself however you would like. Copyright law says not with my stuff. You don't express yourself if you're expressing yourself with my stuff. And so there's this like conflict of law there. And so sometimes copyright wins and sometimes the First Amendment wins. When the First Amendment wins using this fair use exception what they're saying is okay well even though you took somebody else's stuff and you're infringing on a copyright your freedom of speech in this exact situation is valued a little bit more than the value of your right to protect your intellectual property but it's very case specific and they they again you've got a jury that you've got to think about and who knows what they're gonna you know if my dad's on your jury you're probably screwed um you also have a judge that they have opinions as well and then there's this balancing test so they look at okay how much did you take what part did you take did you take the most important thing like the part where we find out who the killer in the movie is or did you just take like the beginning that's already in the previews um so the the quantity and the quality they look at is the thing that you took creative or is it not really, is, is it like the least creative part of the creative work? Was it already published or did you release it before the first, the person had a chance to release it? Are people now going to your product instead of the original product? Are you taking, are you completely replacing it in the marketplace? Have you transformed it? So did you change it in any way? They look at all of these different things and and one of the things is, did you make money off of it or not? Um, so, but none of them, no one element matters more than any other. It all, it just all depends on the specifics of that situation. No. So what it's very hard to say. Go ahead. What about in the case of you making fun of something? It's freedom of speech. Then you, in the case of the fair use of being a satire, but then... In so satire is not protected, but parody is. Parody, is yeah, at least exactly. Yeah, my, right? My bad. My bad. So yeah, like, um, in, the, in the case of, for example, I read, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I supposedly Weird Al, he, what he did was instead of 
uh, going through the legal uh, issues and the hassle and the, the money, and he determined that it would be easier to just pay for everything he was going to make fun of instead of going through the, the whole legal hassle of it. Yeah. Because he's not always, he's, it's not always a parody with him. You know, like if, if you think of the song, um, I'm fat instead of I'm bad, you know, with a parody, you have to be, you're using the original, but you're copying the it. Melody, the full the original, is that something like that? Well, no, you're no. allowed, in it with a parody, you can use the whole thing if you need to use the whole thing in order for people to get the joke. You know, like if, but you don't eat need any more than necessary. Yeah, eat it. Okay, eat it instead of beat it. So, well, he did. He did. I'm just fat instead of bad. He did. I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. You know it. Yeah. So is it uh, the Dangerous Minds parody? No, and the uh, well, black, that one. So the Black Eyed Peas, the, the Let's Get Retarded one. So I, I can tell you, like the Gangsters Paradise one is a really good example. That one is a, a true parody. So. Here in that song, the original song, Gangsta's Paradise, is talking about how difficult it is to, to be a, a gangsta. You know, like what's life is hard. You've got to worry about people coming after you. It's tough. So he did Amish Paradise. And he was like, oh, you think being a gangster is hard? Try being Amish. I have to churn my own butter. I don't have electricity. You know, like that. That. So you are literally commenting on, you want to know what a hard life is? So it's, it is making fun of the original, but using the the subject matter of the original all the elements exactly yeah. you're, not, you're not just copying it for like the rhythm you're you're really copying all of it like you said so all on the parodies you don't have to pay any royalties to the not if it's truly a parody that's what we're, that's what we're saying it's very difficult to know and what victoria was saying right is like you have to for it to truly be a parody you need to be making a comment or criticism about either the author of the work or the work itself but if you're using the work to make a comment about something totally unrelated, then it might be a satire or whatever you want to call it, but it's not a, a strict, it doesn't fall into the strict definition of a parody. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to evaluate there, but yeah, you guys are right on with us with Weird Al. A, a lot of times at this point, especially at this point in his career, um, people think it's an honor to be made fun of by Weird Al. So, you know, they will not even, you know, they'll, they'll just be honored. I, I, I saw um, Dave Grohl and Chris uh, Novoselic from um, Nirvana on like, what were they on? Jimmy Fallon. I think they're on Jimmy Fallon. And they were basically like, we were on Saturday Night Live. We got a call in the back and it was Weird Al, you know, so Nirvana is playing Saturday Night Live. And then Weird Al calls and is like, hey, can I make, you know, can I make fun of you? Can I use your song? And they were all like, yeah, of course you can. That would be awesome. So he goes out of his way to secure a license um, for almost all of his stuff. But strangely, that Coolio Gangster's Paradise was like the one time Coolio for whatever reason. And I even saw a documentary years later, so mad. He's like, I'm so <laughs> mad that he did that. And so Coolio was like not le letting him have a license. So then Weird Al did actually go the parody route. And like Victoria said, that, that one actually was a parody, uh, you know, truly. So, so Weird Al won, uh, won that legal battle. So yeah, but it's not like he's- but not all of his songs there's are the case, like there's he the has case had to get- parody, And there's the case you're making fun with permission. 
yeah you can you can certainly do all of these things if you just get permission that's what i think what we always say is it's so much easier rather than gambling and hoping that you don't get sued just go see if you can get permission of course that costs money sometimes but you know it's safe so before we leave uh i got i I want uh both of you uh to opinion on this so as djs we started back in march when all these madness started we started doing these Facebook live DJ sets because first of all, we were bored and we wanted to just do what we did on a regular basis. And, you know, just to entertain people, just to give that people that little out during the week. And then Facebook started coming down hard on the, Hey, it was either they took the, the, the video down immediately or uh, Warner, whoever owned a specific song within that set claimed the video and the video was muted. And, all of us were like, so why doesn't Facebook do like a blanket license like clubs do? So, because I mean, they could be, they could work out a deal with ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC and be like, yo, let's provide that digital platform to play parties and not have to worry about, you know, suing everybody. I just want to get your opinion on why hasn't Facebook uh, provided that legal option for musicians, not DJs specifically, to play music uh, live legally without any hassle? I think it's just a matter of time. I think that um, the technology didn't uh, didn't force it them didn't to have the to think about that. They didn't put yeah. on the pandemic and everybody going live, basically. Yeah. I mean, like YouTube, YouTube has figured out a way to do more blanket licenses and has, you know, has figured out how to negotiate these things. And I think that the other platforms are kind of just a little bit slower to um, the market in that respect, but I'm sure they will eventually find a way because there's money to be made and it's a shame to just keep shutting everyone down. I think the reason they're shutting people down is that it's hard for them to try to they, they can't get the algorithm to figure out exactly what songs were you playing and how long were you playing each one and who gets how much money. It's, it's like a lot for them to track. So, so apparently, apparently uh, Victoria, sorry, uh, Facebook right now, they're not going to deal with this. They're going to, they're just letting everybody know that m- mostly the people that are doing a lot of lives that from October 1st and on, people are going to just be shut down. If you're doing a live with music content that you don't own, you will be even suspended off Facebook. They're not even trying to uh, do what uh, a thing, electing to make a subscription or some type of deal that everybody wins. But their their motto is not based on the lives. They have so many content and so many stuff. They probably they're just it's too much of a hassle. I guess. I feel like what what Victoria's probably saying is that it's at some point they might see that it's in their interest to make money off of it and they might find a way to monetize it properly. <laughs> and when they do, trust me, Facebook, is just like all these other companies, they're about making money. If they think they're going to make a lot of money off of it, they're going to figure out a way to do it. Uh, you know what no, I mean? Yeah, but, but the, yeah. Risk, the risk does not outweigh the reward right now. Right now, the risk to them of getting sued for copyright infringement is too high that they're like, you know what? It's safer just to shut you guys down because we can't track this the right way to make sure we don't get sued for no, keeping you right, up there and right now there are a million people there are a million people doing lives and who's pay, paying that back end is facebook right now without any returns yeah exactly i could i could say something about that um youtube have this system is called uh youtube id that's what youtube uses to you know find your track within a video and, and throw it out there right 
and uh, and do the copyright claim. But Facebook doesn't have actually something quite similar yet. When you do music distribution, you also distribute your music to Instagram and Facebook, so you can have it on the stories and, and stuff, right? But uh, Facebook, since Facebook doesn't monetize each video that you put on your on your page, it doesn't have the way to pay the copyrighted content of, of that video that you're putting out there, right? So I guess him that's kind of like the problem with with Facebook at the moment. Why are why aren't you guys doing it on on a YouTube platform or a different platform then? Why why use Facebook? You have your platform, you have three thousand followers, four thousand followers. In the case of Arturo, he has like fifty thousand. And it's hey. easy to have people inside the platform see you instead of outsourcing them out of the platform when you're doing sure. the promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, it, it, doesn't, it isn't the same because like, for example, if I'm sharing something from uh, YouTube to Facebook, if I put the video link of YouTube on Facebook, it will just visually, it just will be a link. It won't right. be the whole video, right? Because Facebook wants you to upload your video to, to Facebook, yeah, right? They so want it, it to could be theirs. have yeah. autoplay and be full screen and all the good goodness, right? But that's the thing. So, how, so I guess what I would challenge you to do is figure out how to start enticing your audience to, to a different platform. And that, when, when Facebook starts to lose its customer base and its followers, it's the, the people who use the platform, because they aren't evolving to serve their their customers that is when they will figure out how to get this to make money for them but yeah, you, if you can drive your traffic to a different platform mm -hmm. and that platform makes money off of you which is not easy i understand i mean you have eighty thousand followers on facebook that's amazing and that's difficult to get everybody to move over but if you can try to start finding a way to do that especially in the the world that we're in right now if the future is going to be digital performances then you've got to, you have to evolve just as much as Facebook needs to evolve. They'll eventually get to it, for sure. No, by the way, really quickly, I thought it was interesting, though, the, about the Facebook stuff, which is uh, when you guys mentioned uh, the misconceptions and about, about fair use and stuff like that. And whenever people would put up, well, a lot of DJs, whenever they would put up uh, their their live streams, they would put like a disclaimer, this, 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 this uh, copy paste. I do not own the, 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 the track, it's, it's like we were saying, you're admitting that you're breaking the law. No, I'm saying, and, so and they were thinking that they're protecting themselves somehow from, and I'm like, oh, you're admitting you're breaking the law. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice that they're even thinking about a disclaimer. So, you know, there was a time where people didn't even think about the law. Now, at least people are thinking about the law and then hopefully one day they will know the law. Yeah, that's and I think this this whole thing has been part of part of that process, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's to help uh, spread the word. Yeah, that's that's the whole the whole idea of you know having you guys here with us today and trying to spread a little bit of the awareness and the uh, more in depth explanation on how this works. Because at the end of the day, it's what's written down on paper, what's agreed upon, all parts involved. Because you you may have the general idea, but if something's totally different written on paper, then that's what goes so yeah. victoria and chris i really appreciate you guys being with us today i know that i mean we were here for quite a while but <laughs> it was all worth it i it, it really refreshed my memory on <laughs> from a couple of years ago and i really do appreciate you guys uh 
if you guys have any uh, uh, closing comments. I want to uh, correct something I said that I think was, I don't know if I, I, I don't know how I said, but I know that it was confusing. Um, actual versus statutory damages. Registration of your copyright allows you to get those statutory damages. The actual damages you can still request, I believe, but the statutory damages, you would not be allowed to ask for those if you don't register. So that's one of the, it's a, it's a benefit that you get from registration. Chris? Indeed it is. I just want to say thank you for having me uh, here. Thank you, Victoria, for inviting me. And it was thank a you pleasure guys. meeting all of you guys. Um, and it was fun being a part of this. Yeah, and hopefully I could drive by school soon and, you know, just, uh, it had been a while. I've been, I've been wanting to go in and, and, and the memories. <laughs> yeah, it's, hey. So guys, again, when I, we uh, get back in session, I hope you will come back and actually come come to campus sure, and, and visit. I, I, went, I, I went by security and they told me that I need a professor to take alumni around the the school. So I was like, yeah, uh, I spent yeah. all this money here and I cannot come visit. That uh, sucks. <laughs> well, when, when we when we're back on campus, let me know and I will be sure. the I'll be your professor. <laughs> but for yes, sure. thank you guys very much for having yeah. us. This Leo Arturo Gandhi, any last comments? I just want to say, you uh, just thank you, thank you very much for your time and all your knowledge. I think it's very insightful, and I hope I mean this podcast helped anyone. You know, that's kind of like the thing. And also, you know, I don't know if you guys, um, uh, nah, forget that. Just thank you so much. I think he was. Uh, thinking, I think he was so thinking thank you he was going to retain your services, right? I'm, yeah. So when Arturo comes to Orlando for that hearing, he's gonna call you guys and have and have you both sit on the on the trial. And you know what? Bring, I'll bring the pre-law society. I know. I might like to watch. Be fun. Yeah. And what also was very helpful is that we finally ended the discussion between Arturo and Gandhi about that other competing. Ten trust years. Me, trust me. Ten years. You, you you, trust me, uh, uh, ten year feud. <laughs> yeah, trust me. You don't know how much it helped. So this has been another episode of Behind the Entertainment. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Estás escuchando Behind the Entertainment.